Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Let me wish you a very happy and blessed Easter. This is, of course, Good Friday. A, a Good Friday <laughs> like like no other Good Friday in recent memory instead of planning for our Easter together and going to church and doing all that stuff. Um, different dynamic this year as we follow the safer in place and the shelter at home rules as we all try to get through this. Uh, breaking news story, it is, it's perhaps no surprise, but it's the latest domino to fall. In Wisconsin, particularly in southeastern Wisconsin, we do summer well. I mean, it just, for everybody who says, oh, there's nothing to do, I always say, man, if you can't find something to do in southeastern Wisconsin during the summer, you're just not trying hard enough. You have all the different church festivals, you have all the different activities, and you have, of course, all the big ethnic festivals at the lakefront. Well, coronavirus and the concerns about it have just claimed another victim. Uh, they announced today the German Fest, which has, of course, been a lakefront staple for 40 years. Uh, German Fest announcing today that it is following the lead of Festa Italiana, and it is canceling, not postponing, but canceling the three-day event originally scheduled to be July 24th to the 26th at the lakefront grounds. And again, this is this is not a surprise. I think the, the organizers who work very hard all year trying to put this together um, are, are just faced with, with so much uncertainty. What, what are we going to look like by July? How do you go out and get commitments from vendors and book the bands and, and do all these types of things? And are people going to feel comfortable going out in public even by July standards? And I, I think, and you understand, these are volunteer organizations. So the folks at German Fest, I think, made the same calculation that the folks at Festa Italiana did a couple weeks ago, saying, look, given all this uncertainty, we, we just can't continue to go ahead. So they've announced that German Fest has been canceled. Tickets that people had for the 2020 German Fest will be honored in 2021. But, you know, this is just another shoe to drop. Now, where, where this starts to get interesting is that not only is this an unfortunate decision, but we're now talking about events that were scheduled at the end of July. Keep in mind, we're in mid-April, so April to May, May to June, June to July. German Fest was approximately, you know, three-plus months away, and they're already saying, looking out on that calendar, we've got to cancel. The next big event, of course, on, on tap for the like what I will call the festival season is State Fair, which is supposed to start the week, I believe, after German Fest concludes. I think that my math is right there. So now the question becomes, you know, is that 
what what are the state fair organizers going to do? Are they going to be operating under the same degree of uncertainty? You know, if German Fest is canceling, if Festa Italiana is canceling, you know, is there going to be any sort of summer season left at all? And I don't know what the answer to that question is. Just uh, again, this is it's a it's an Easter like no others. It's going to be a spring like no other, and it appears like it's going to be like a summer like no other. I was talking to. Um, one of my colleagues the other day and I said, you know, I just I, I'm looking forward to twenty twenty one because I I, I want to return to normalcy. I, I, I want I want our schedule back. I, I want I want the NCAA tournament back. I want to be able to go out safely to restaurants. I, I want the start of the baseball season back. I want the festival season back. I want that return to normalcy that hopefully we're going to get at some point in time, but it doesn't look like we're going to get it at least around here anytime soon. And again, just uh, another decision, German Fest ended up canceled. I sent out a, a, a tweet. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 and I... I, I, whenever I do this stuff, I, I always hesitate because I inevitably get a text or an email saying, you are downplaying the significance of coronavirus. And, and my answer is, I, I'm not. I think, though, in making decisions as to what we close and when we reopen stuff and how we reopen stuff, we need to be transparent about things. And we need to be data-driven and we need to be smart. I mean, I think it is fair to ask a question that says, okay, why have we closed down, I don't know, small businesses? Why, why have we closed down the small men's store that, that maybe at any given time doesn't have more than four or five customers in it? Why have we closed that down? By making the decision to close that down, are we really stopping the spread of coronavirus when those same people are, are still shopping for clothes uh, at Target or, or whatever? Um, why, why have we closed down the individual dog groomer who maybe has contact with maybe a half dozen people over the course of, of a day? Why are we making those decisions? And, you know, do we need to be smarter about deciding what's closed and, and when we reopen things. And I think the only way you get to that is transparency. One of the things that has been guiding a lot of our initial decisions has been these models of the spread of coronavirus and the extent and the fatality rate of coronavirus. Um, for example, you, you will remember last time, about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, the stock market completely falls apart because President Trump has a, a press conference and he says, OK, we, we've got our, our modeling and the latest modeling we have shows that there may be somewhere between 100,000 and 240,000 coronavirus deaths in the country. And, of course, the, the media takes it and runs with it, and the, the headline is 240,000 corona deaths, a, a coronavirus deaths expected. O okay. Well, and then what happens is over the course of the next you know, week or so, they, they back off on that. And they say, oh, no, now we're running these different models, and those numbers we were throwing out, we, we don't believe those are accurate. We think that the real number is closer to 60,000. Now, I'm not minimizing 60,000 deaths, but 60,000 deaths is a lot less than a quarter million deaths and and maybe that informs your planning a bit same thing happened in wisconsin i mean two weeks ago when the governor issued the the safer at home order 
the acting deputy, the acting secretary of the health department came out and said, well, we've got these models, and the models show that unless we do social distancing by April 8th, which was two days ago, we're going to be looking at a minimum of 400 deaths up to 1,400 deaths in the state of Wisconsin, and we're going to be looking at 22,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus. Okay, pretty scary numbers. Well, okay, now April 8th has come and gone, and we're at about 130 deaths in Wisconsin attributed to coronavirus. And in some cases, these are people with significant underlying health issues, but we're calling it a coronavirus death, and that's all well and good. And you're a little bit over 3,000 reported cases. And even if we assume that there's more cases out there that because of testing, that, that haven't turned up, we're, we're nowhere near 22,000. And, and again, part of that is undoubtedly due <clears throat> to the effects of social distancing, but part of it is also due to the fact that the, the models they were using were incorrect. And, and so one of the big questions I've had all along is, why, why is the modeling, why has the modeling been off? Why have you had these variations? Because you're making public policy decisions based on these modeling. And, and I have a, found a, there's a piece in the Washington Post today, and again, I, I sent it out on, on, on Twitter. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 which has one of the most interesting explanations, and, and at least for, for what it's worth, it, it seems to make sense to me. And I, I throw that out there for consideration. So why were these models off? Well, the modeling, particularly early on, was based on information and data coming out of China, which is probably highly unreliable, and coming out of, of Italy, which had its own <clears throat> limitations as, as well. So one of the things you look at when you're trying to figure out, again, what a percentage of things is, remember back to your, you know, add addition and subtraction, you know, back in back in grade school. You have that, that numerator, <clears throat> and then you draw the line, and you've got the denominator. So if you want to figure out, for example, how many people, what percentage of people in your workforce, in your in your job, is are, are women. So let's say you got a, you say, okay, you've got 100 people. And then you've got 43 women. Well, it's easy. You take 43 and you draw that line and you got 100. Well, that turns out to be 43%, right? It's, it's pretty easy. 43% of the workforce is women. If you change that number and instead of 100 people in the workplace, the, the bottom number is 200, well, okay, it's, it's a different number. It's, you know, 43 and 200. It goes from 43% to like 21.5%. So the numbers that you put in matter. What they are starting to find is that when they were preparing the models early on, what they were doing is, is badly misrepresenting or underrepresenting the number of people who had coronavirus. So by that I mean we, we've been lagging behind in tests, and this is something that happened in Italy. You know, the, the only people that were getting tested for coronavirus, as a general rule, were the people that were already in the hospital and already in intensive care. So it was a very limited sample. And so, you know, of those hundred people that were tested, well, that they found that, you know, X number passed away. So you got this high, high percentage. Well, what they're beginning to find is that there's a lot of people out there because of the lagging in tests, who either have had coronavirus and have been asymptomatic, in other words, there, there, there are no symptoms at all, um, or they, they had coronavirus and they, they felt a little bit ill, 
but not ill enough to go to an emergency room or to go to a hospital. And so and they just kind of recovered on, on their own. And so what they're finding is that universe of people that have been exposed to this disease have had it, have been asymptomatic, or, or haven't been sick enough to get tests, or have been sick, but, but still there was a shortage of tests. It's a lot larger. So that bottom number, that denominator, is a lot larger. And so some of the analysis early on, the calculations, ha- has, been, has been screwed up. And it's not saying that anybody's evil or, or bad or, or trying to come out with bad numbers. It's just that some of these apocalyptic predictions early on haven't, just don't make mathematical sense. And so that's why I do think it is important as we're moving forward and as we're making these decisions about how, how we start to you know, reopen things. Front page of the New York Times today, the business section, at least 16,780,000 Americans have lost their job in 21 days. 16 million. As we make the decision as to how to start getting people back to work, we, we've got to do it. We, we've got to do it on science and we've got to do it on, on numbers. And hopefully, now that we're doing more testing, we're getting a better idea of how infectious coronavirus is and how deadly it is for the general population so we can start making decisions. If you want to see this analysis again, you can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Yeah, one of our texters points out, Jeff, how many people are there in Wisconsin? And there are 5.8 million people, slightly over 3,000 coronavirus cases. Percentage-wise, that's 0.0005%. Now, that again, we, we, you want to stop this from spreading. You want to stop it from overwhelming the, the health care system. But at the same time, what, when we talk about reopening the state, and we'll have that conversation a little bit later on, I, I do think it's... It's it's got to be based on the medical situation, but it's also got to be based on again considering the effect that continuing to close the state has to stop people from being able to open their businesses, to stop people from being able to pay their mortgages and pay their rent. And at what point in time do you do you flatten that curve as well? But we'll discuss that in a little bit. All right, here's the deal: Are you a virus vigilante? Now, what, what is a virus vigilante? A virus, right now, we have, there's a number of orders that are out there telling us that we can't do things. That the latest order was, okay, we're going to close the various, a, a number of state parks, not all the state parks, but a lot of the state parks, because apparently too many people were, were out in them. And an example of, again, why we can't have nice things, some of the people that were out there were apparently trashing them, leaving you know garbage and things like that. So, I mean, the governor's made the decision that he's, he's going to close a number of, of state parks, so we've lost that. In Milwaukee County, they've got an order that a lot of the lakefront beaches are, are closed. And we're, we're told, okay, stay at home, avoid groups, et cetera, et cetera. Well, one of the things that's going on is that you have a number of people in our community who've decided that they are going to take it upon themselves to see that the, these orders are enforced. And, and I, I wonder where that line comes in. Let me tell you a story. About a week ago, it was a week ago Thursday, I, I met my very, very dear friend. And one of, the, one of the things that's hard on me about this 
uh, about the, the these lockdowns. It's not the broadcasting from home, and I, I mean, I miss going to restaurants, but I, I, I we miss, and I'm speaking for my wife as well. We miss being able to see our friends and family. I mean, we're we're I'm used to seeing my brother in person a couple times a week, and my close friends, and you know, we we have all these these folks that we do stuff with, and it, it's. That, that socialization is something that I look forward to a, a great deal, and, and I miss that. So last Thursday, buddy of mine and I, one of my very, very dear friends, the guy, my friend Evan, who we go to baseball games with and all, that's, of course, not going to happen probably all season or at least for a good portion of the season. Um, he, he, he called me up or sent me a text and said, hey, you want to get together? I, I've been going out walking, and I, I try to walk a little bit as well. And so we met at a Milwaukee County park. Uh, in the parking lot, and this was before they closed the beaches and stuff, and we were observing social distancing, but you know we were we were going to we were going to walk walk a couple miles and just just kind of talk we hadn 't seen each other, so we got together we, we met we pull into the parking lot and i 'm not saying that there were a lot of cars in the parking lot, but you know there were there were uh, maybe a dozen or so, but it's a, it's a big park. It's not, not that big a deal. But sitting in the parking lot were four teenagers who looked to me like high school kids. I mean, I'm kind of bad with that, but looked to me like they were high school kids, and they'd all driven there. And they were all, well, they, they weren't six feet apart. They were They were all sitting on their cars, and they were talking to each other. It was kind of like... Business as usual, if you were going to you know, go hang out, if you're a high school kid, you were going to go hang out with your friends in the park. So they weren't candidly observing social distancing, but they weren't close to me. They weren't in my space. You know, so I, I kind of walked off, didn't think anything of it. Well, here's the interesting question. More and more of us, in an effort to enforce this whole social distancing, have been deciding that we're, we're going to be what they determine as virus vigilantes. We're going to be the ones that then call the police and say, hey, you know, there's these four kids that are in X Park in the parking lot, and they're all, they're, they're all really close to each other, and maybe you should do something about it. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I have no doubt that over the course of the last several weeks, you have probably seen something similar to that. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's it's walking in the park. Maybe it's, I, I don't know, you know, in, in the parking lot of a, of a store that you're going to. You know, seeing people not observing the, the social distancing rules that we are being told that we should follow. Or, or together in too much of a group. All right, here is my question to you. Would you call the police? Under those sort of circumstances, would you, you know, pick up your cell phone, call the authorities and say, hey, I, I've got these, you know, just so you know, I'm in this parking lot here. I just saw these, there's these four kids, and, and they're within six feet of each other. They're not bothering me, but they're within six feet of each other. Or, hey, I was just driving by this park, and, you know, I, I saw this, there's, there's four or five kids, and they're playing catch, or, or they're doing something. Now, it's not bothering me. They weren't coming into my face, but I think there's too many kids there together, or too many people there together. I think you should do something about it. Would you make that phone call? 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jim in Hales Corners. Hi, Jim. Hey, Jeff. You know, I would not call the police on anybody because I think that it's a form of extremism that bothers me more than people not complying. Um, the story that you had the other day about the father and his uh, daughter and wife playing playing t-ball. t-ball, right. Right. Uh, that that concerns me. And I'm a law and order kind of guy. I'm the kind of guy that uh, will always comply with what the police say. But I'm right on the edge of not doing that. If I'm sitting somewhere and it's ridiculous of what they're trying to do by uh, by harassing me. So I, I, I would not call the police on anybody because I think that there's more danger in sliding into an authoritarian state than uh, having a problem with uh, coronavirus. Well, thank, thanks for call, Jim. You know, th- this is going to be one of the things that moving forward. Now, the reaction right now that we've had in Wisconsin has been we're, we're going to close more and more stuff down. That that's that's sort of and that's the knee jerk reaction so far has been okay. We're we're going to stop you from doing this and stop you from doing that and stop you from doing this. And so far, I think largely there's been voluntary sort of compliance. I understand. Matter of fact, there's a story out of Madison where you had a, um, a football coach, a high school football coach, who decided that he was going to host like an impromptu practice of of 15 high school kids, and so I think they came over to his house or something like that, and and somebody dimed him out. In a situation like that, I, I understand the the idea, and because there you have that sort of group gathering, and you're not supposed to do it, and it's a high school football coach who's getting the different kids together. I, I get it. In a situation, though, where you, you see, I don't know, my, my gosh, that's you've got two sets of neighbors who are walking, and, and, and maybe they're not following the six-foot-apart thing. A- am I going to get in their face? No, no, I'm going to trust them to do the, the right thing. But you're right. You do have to kind of avoid this. We want to all be smart, but you have to avoid the, the totalitarian type of, of approach. And I think you also have to analyze, you know, how, how it affects you. One of the things that we say, matter of fact, the texture just kind of made this point. One of the things we say during this coronavirus situation is that we're all in this together. And, and that's true. We're all in the pool together. But let's face it, some people are in the deep end and some people are in the shallow end. I mean, for example, you say, you know, we're we're all in it together. Well, if you're somebody who... I, I don't know if, if you're if you're still working, for example, you know, and whether maybe you're working at home, you know, maybe you're supposed to go in, but you've got a job, you've got money coming in, so you're able to to make your rent payments or make your mortgage payments. Okay, well, okay, you're you're in that pool, but you're in a different situation than say, I don't know, the person who has had their business closed down, who hasn't been able to earn any money for the the last several weeks and doesn't know when you're gonna be able to open up. So yeah, we're all in that same pool, but some of us are in the shallow end, some of us are in the deep end, and we have to figure out kind of how to make this whole thing work, which isn't saying disregard the rules. It's just saying at some point in time, I think we need a degree of, of common sense to apply there. We don't want to reopen the state so quickly that you see you know numbers start to spike, but at the same time, it's got to be a, a priority. People need to be smart about following the social distancing and things like that. And if it means that, you know, it's safer to go out uh, and, and wear the face masks and stuff, okay, then they'd go out, wear the face masks and stuff if that ends up making sense. But at the same time, I, I do think, you know, we, we have to avoid 
going to the other extreme, which is, gee, I'm looking out my window, and there's six people walking by, and it's like three couples from the subdivision over there, and I don't think they're following that six-foot rule. I'm going to dial the police. Now, I, I think you know we have to balance it out. We have to be smart. We have to be reasonable. Um, Jeff, I personally wouldn't call the police unless an improper group clearly was flaunting wild rebellion. Yeah, I mean, that's that that's kind of it. If you saw this like large party of kids in the parking lot, then you make the call. Jeff, my brother has eight kids, ages 5 to 18. Um, what's he supposed to do when he goes out to the park? Um, yep. Yep, 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 yep. Jeff, there reaches a point where non-compliant group becomes too large to be safe, and it's advisable to advise authorities. This wasn't it. Um, yes. Jeff, I wouldn't make the call unless they were being intrusive, which is kind of how I kind of came down. And I thought, ah, they, they probably shouldn't be together. But you know what? Um, it's, it's four of them. They're not getting anybody else's face. I'm just going to let it go. Now, if I should have called the cops and been a virus vigilante, I'm sorry, but I didn't. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the ACLU says, let the prisoners go. We will discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Again, happy and blessed Easter to you. The season's still on hold, but we're here to help you through it. Tune in Wednesday, April 15th, for the next edition of Brewers Classics. A trade deadline acquisition of CC Sabathia gives the crew the push they needed towards their first playoff appearance in 26 years. Listen to Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre as he calls a Brewers Classic. Game 162 from the 2008 season, Wednesday at 6 p.m. Brewers Classic, sponsored by Boucher Automotive, Previa, Badger Mutual, Our Steel, and American Family Insurance. All right, now... <clears throat> If if you look at, at the spread of coronavirus, one of the things that you see, and it's one of the reasons why we talk about social distancing, keeping people apart, is because it, it does spread very easily. People in close quarters to each other stand a greater chance of, of contracting it. It's why you, you have... You know, huge problems in, in nursing homes, for example. You know, if you look at, you know, some of the fatalities in Wisconsin, you know, they, they came from a nursing home or a senior living facility where people are, are closed in and confined. Washington State, where it was one of the original epicenters, it's now kind of died down, thankfully, but it, it started in nursing homes, people confined together. And that's one of the reasons why I think moving forward, I, I think the rules for going into and out of nursing homes where you have people in close contact with each other close quarters and people of a particularly you know vulnerable position i i think the dynamic is going to change I, I i believe that well okay in addition to nursing homes what's one of the areas where people are confined together all right you, you've got three guesses and the first two don't count the answer is is prisons and jails right you, you've got lots of people crammed into close quarters together now so far Wisconsin prison population, there, there has not been massive outbreaks of coronavirus in, in the prisons. Now, the story that I'm looking at, there are 23,000 inmates in the Wisconsin prison system. All right. So far, as of, well, let's see, they, they've had so far, they've had five inmates test positive for COVID-19 at two Department of Corrections facilities as of this morning. 
Um, you've had a dozen Department of Corrections employees that have tested positive. And my guess is, and that's the Department of Corrections stuff, my guess is that you know, in, in a lot of the local jails, you, you probably have a higher instance of that. But keep in mind, there's 23,000 people incarcerated. As it stands now, the number of positive tests is a, is a fraction of that, that 23,000. Nevertheless, uh, inmates groups, defense attorneys, and the ACLU are now asking the state Supreme Court to force the governor to, wait for it, release inmates from prison in order to mitigate the spread of coronavirus among the prisoners and protect vulnerable prisoners. Um, The argument is that here, what we need to do is we need to essentially identify, and what they want to do is they want to find inmates starting with inmates who are over 60 and we want to they want them to start being released or inmates that have underlying health problems let's release them from prison so it reduces the risk that they are going to contract corona virus and they want the governor to do it through pardons and paroles the suit was brought by two inmates one is a guy who's serving 80 years in prison <laughs> Um, going back to 1996, for attempted homicide and burglary. And the other is a guy who's doing, he's got a little over a year left of a two-year sentence for drunken driving. Um, The guy who is doing the 80-year sentence has kidney disease, and the other guy has uh, signs of cardiac disease. So the argument is we should identify older prisoners, we should identify prisoners that have health risks, and we should let them out put them back into the general society because we want to reduce the risk that they are going to get sick in prison. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. What do you think about that idea? Now, clearly, again, you know, we, we talk about social distancing and, and things like that, and you're, it would seem to me, a lot less likely to come down with, you know, COVID-19 if you're, you know, at your home with your spouse and, and your dog than you are if you're in a prison facility where you're going to be surrounded by a, a large number of other people. And the reality is in, in that facility, you're, you're not going to be able to avoid interaction. You know, you can do all you want with social distancing, but yes, you're, you're going to have that, that risk. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The question is, right, is that risk? And like I say, so far, you know, coronavirus, thankfully, has not been running rampant through the Wisconsin prison system. But is that risk that, yes, you know, you might be exposed to this, is that a justification for saying to somebody, hey, you've got an 80-year sentence, Um, we're going to turn you loose? My answer would be, have we lost our minds I mean, seriously, that's going to be a justification for releasing prisoners? My answer would not just be no, but heck no. But what do you think? Should we, if we're being humane, and the argument is, hey, it's cruel and unusual punishment to keep people in prison where they might have a greater risk of being exposed to coronavirus. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner.
This is Jeff Wagner, and this is going to be an interesting conversation. The ACLU is filing a lawsuit saying we should release prisoners um, who are in the in the. We should, I think the lawsuit argues we, we should release like pretty much everybody, but we should especially release people who are over above a certain age or who have underlying health issues because you know they're they're trapped in prisons and so what what could possibly you know we're, we're exposing them it's cruel and unusual to keep them there 855-616-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line and keep in mind right now the statistics are such that coronavirus is not running rampant in the wisconsin prison system i mean there's there are a handful of reported cases you're going to find more cases i think in some of the nursing homes and senior living facilities that are around there uh here's one of my texts it says jeff I think we need to release all nonviolent offenders during the um, outbreak. Release all nonviolent offenders. Um, Jeff, wouldn't you then have to release every person in a nursing home since they are likely to contract COVID-19? Well, that's, you know, that's, that is the, the question. Jeff, the first thing inmates do when they get out is be around other people. Plus, their risk of exposure increases by being out in public. Um, they and we are safer with them where we are. You see, that's, I guess that, that's my, my first question is this practical thing. First of all, what is really the incidence? If you were telling me that, gee, you've got, you know, 100% of the people that are in the prison system have now come down with COVID-19, all right, maybe, maybe then at least you start to say, do you need to have some targeted releases? But like I say, right now, there's, among the prison population, statistically, there there's nothing that supports a justification for saying that it's widespread in there. Secondly, all right, let us assume for the sake of argument that you release prisoners. You, you decide that, that you think this is a good idea. And, and let's, let's release the guy who's doing 80 years for, you know, attempted murder. Let's release him. Where is he going to go? I mean, is, is a, tell, explain to me this. Are you going to, I mean, typically if you release somebody on, on a parole or something, you send them to a halfway house. Well, okay, you send them to the halfway house, they're still going to be surrounded by, by people. Explain to me where all these prisoners are suddenly going to go. I actually think you can make an argument that they're, they're, you're safer keeping them in confined areas than you are just dumping them out on the street. On top of that, what is the interest of society? As, as we've talked about, you know, in different times on this program, the reality is in, in Wisconsin, and I, I'll just I'll talk about Wisconsin, you know, as opposed to like other states. In Wisconsin, you got to work to get yourself thrown into prison or jail. I mean, you, you, you do. It, you know, it's we, we live in an era where judges, because of prison overcrowding and all this stuff, bend over backwards to try to avoid sending people you know to, to prison or send it, putting people in jail it costs a lot of money all those type of things so as a general rule and i understand there might be an exception here and there but as a general rule the people that are behind bars are people who belong behind bars they have either done something serious and violent and so they're they're there partly to punish them and partly to protect society or they're, they're, they just keep committing crimes over and over again for which there, there's finally no point, there's nothing other that you can do other than put them in prison and or put them in jail in order to protect the rest of us. So when you look at those dynamics that are going on there, um, I mean, my, my argument is you, you got to, 
you, you have to understand that it's just just willy-nilly opening the jailhouse doors isn't um, isn't you know doing anybody any favors. Let's talk to Jack and cut Hey, Jack, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, Hi, Jack. So I just want I just want to say so you know first off, um, just kind of I guess as an example, you could have somebody with an underlying condition, uh, which I am, um, but you could have somebody with an underlying condition who's in the prison system um, of any age, you know, old or young. And that person could have been a convicted murderer or rapist within the past few years, let's say. Um, and so are we saying that, you know, even with the coronavirus outbreak being bigger, which, as you pointed out multiple times, it's very insignificant at this point within the prison system, but even if it were, are, you know, is the argument being made that, <laughs> that, that that somebody in that scenario should be let to walk free um, and, yes. and that their rights are more important than the law-abiding citizens like myself and you, uh, obviously yes. our, our safety would be at risk. So we're, we're more worried about their health. I, that doesn't add up to me. I, I, no, Jack, I, thanks for the call. I can't say it any better. That, that's, that is essentially what the argument is. And so, I mean, I, I don't think this is going to go anywhere, but it's, it's a petition to the Supreme Court to force the governor to start releasing prisoners. No, what, what you have to do is if if you have a, a COVID-19 outbreak in a prison, you, you might have to put a, a quarantine on it. You might have to put down extra rules like we do at, at nursing homes and things like that. But the idea of opening the jailhouse doors and turning people loose because, hey, you're in a vulnerable age group, to me, it's just, it's crazy talk. All right, back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back again. Happy and blessed Easter to you. All right, coming up this weekend, for people who are, again, this is an Easter. It's a good Friday like no other. It's, it's an Easter weekend like no other a lot of us still confined to our homes. We're not going to be able to get together with our family, with our friends, in the way we're typically used to, and and I, that that's the way it works. So so what we're all doing is we're we're looking at kind of ways to entertain ourselves. We talked about it earlier this week. I am not proud of this, but I, I acknowledge I'm one of the guys that got hooked on that the Tiger King thing um, on on Netflix. Matter of fact, I was up to like one o'clock in the morning last week as I as I watched all the episodes and. I, I can't exactly explain why, but it, it, it kind of fascinated me. For those of you who are fans, they're they're bringing they're releasing on Sunday one more episode of that. It, it's sort of a like an after show. It doesn't feature the the main characters, the woman who runs the big cat rescue thing. If you've seen it, she's not on it, and the Tiger King who is in prison doing like 20-some years for attempted murder and for various animal cruelty acts. He's not in it, but a lot of the other people are. So I, I suspect this is going to be a huge thing on Netflix. So if you're a fan of the Tiger King, on on Sunday they're going to be dropping one more episode. There's also, if you happen to have HBO, and part of the thing with with all the stuff that's out there now, with all the different streaming things, there's just so much out there. 
that it's it's almost difficult it's difficult to figure out what the good stuff is and what the bad stuff is and and one of the things that I've had an opportunity to do over the last couple of weeks following the stay at home orders is that you know I I'm, I'm reading a lot of books I'm working through my the books that I had wanted to read and I'm also you know catching up or checking out things somebody said hey this is a good show go go watch it so I've been spending a lot of time doing that there's there's a new show that debuts on HBO on Sunday and it's kind of got this I don't know if it's going to be any good or not, but it's got this intriguing sort of premise about the road not taken. It the it's called Run, and, and here here's the premise. It's these two college sweethearts, who or they were college sweethearts. It's back when they're each 19 years old. They make this pact, and the pact says at any point in time in the future, if one of them texts the other one and says the word Run. And then the other one sends back the word run. Then they, they meet in like Central Park. So that, that, that's the idea. And it's something that they make when they're 19 years old. And the, the premise of the show, I guess, is this is like 15 years later. They're both in their 30s. They're both you know, in their lives. <clears throat> and the guy texts the gal, run. She texts back. And then they just leave their lives, meet. And then they're, they're kind of like <clears throat> they run. And they're on the run. It just sounds to me like an interesting sort of premise for for a show and one that I suspect that lots of people could could relate to because for all of us you look back on your life and there's there's always the, these different choices you made and you say okay I, I I took this job and I could have taken that job or I did this or I moved here and I could have moved there or whatever and there, there's always this nature of kind of wondering about gee what 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 how would your life have been different, and how would your life have changed if if you had taken this road instead of that road? And I, I mean, I think I hope for most of us. I know certainly in my case, I don't regret any of the choices. I mean, I, I regret certainly regret some of the bad things that that happened over life, but I don't regret the choices. But we all make those sort of choices. And, it, and again, it sounded to me like it was an interesting topic for a, a show and. If you're looking for something maybe to watch, it's uh, on HBO on Sunday night. It debuts. It's called Run. It's a limited series. Okay. the For people here in Wisconsin who are chafing at the safer-at-home restrictions put on by Governor Tony Evers, well, we're, we're, not living, we're not living in Michigan. Now, Michigan has a slightly different dynamic because Detroit is one of the the quote unquote epicenters of of coronavirus for for a lot of reasons but Detroit has been hit hard not New York hard but Detroit has has been hit hard so in any event today the governor of Michigan not only did she continue her stay at home safer at home whatever you want to have um orders that have been in effect for a couple weeks but she expanded that all right by the at the close of business today if you live in Michigan, you will no longer be able to jump in the car or cross the street to visit friends and relatives inside the state. You will not so, also not be allowed to go to your cottage up north with limited exceptions. But essentially what, what this is is no visiting family, no visiting friends, no unnecessary travel at, at all. You're allowed to go out and you're allowed to care for a relative, an elderly friend, or a pet. You're allowed to visit a nursing home um, or attend a funeral of no more than 10 people. 
but otherwise you are not allowed to go out of the house to visit people. So let's say, okay, Sunday is Easter Sunday. Let's say that you, I don't know, you want to you wanna visit your kids. Or let's say that you, you've bought, you purchased gifts for, you know, some of your family and friends. And what you want to do, you want to show that you're remembering them on Easter. So you want to get in your car and you want to drive around and you want to, you know, drop off the, the candy that you've purchased you want to drop off the candy at your at your kid's house. You want to drop off the candy that you've purchased for, you know, your your grandchildren. You want to <clears throat> you haven't seen some of your friends for a while. So you want to stop and, and even though you're not planning on going into the house, you want to drive over to their house because you want to drop off again the, the the Easter lily that you've purchased or whatever. In Michigan, the governor is saying no, you are not allowed to do that. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, in Wisconsin, we have an order that says no unnecessary travel. It hasn't gotten to the point, though, where we are being told you, you, you can't go and you know, drop off that, that, that candy at your, at your kid's house. We've been told that you're not supposed to have big groups or anything like that. But the Michigan governor is saying no travel at all. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this overkill? What do you think? Is this overkill? Is this taking this too far? And do we need, in an era of safer at home, social distancing, do we still need to have... I don't know, sort of a reasonable approach that says, hey, it's Easter. If I want to drop off the Easter lily over at my, I'm not caring for my mom, but if I want to go over and I want to drop it off on her front porch, should you be able to do that? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The coronavirus pandemic has touched us all and left us with more questions than answers. What can I do to prevent the spread? What will our economy look like when it's over? Join us next Tuesday, April 14th from 4 to 6 p.m. for WTMJ Cares, a special town hall with John McCure, where we'll bring you experts in medicine and finance to help answer your questions. WTMJ Cares, powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum, sponsored by Aurora Healthcare, Drake and Associates, Siding Unlimited, and Annex Wealth Management. WTMJ Cares is supporting the Salvation Army of Milwaukee County. Go to WTMJ.com slash WTMJ Cares or text CARES to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line to learn how you can help. Mike in Marquette, Michigan. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. I hope you're doing well. Yes, sir. I am doing well, sir. Okay, Marquette, Michigan. This You're in the Upper Peninsula. This order covers you. Don't, don't you be going over to your kid's house and dropping off an Easter lily on Easter. Well, that's just it, you know, and it's the frustrating thing is uh, beginning of this month, we had to celebrate my two-year-old son's birthday at home with our grandparents or relatives. And now that Easter's coming up, it's, you know, we're in uncharted water here. You know, it's it's really right. weird and not having, you know, family around. And, and my brother lives right across town here and I don't even know if I'll be able to get to see him. So it's it's not only is it hard on me, but it's also hard on you know my my wife who's pregnant and sure. you know my my son. Sure. 
And, and, and this and this order, the way I, at least I understand it, it says it's against the law for you to even drive across town and you know go to your brother's place, even if you don't even go inside. You know, you 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 stand out on the walk. You know, he you maybe you have a conversation through the door or something like that. You're not allowed to travel to to visit. You know, to to visit your brother. I mean, I understand that the no large gatherings and things like that, and I even understand, I guess, saying you can't get together with family for Easter. But now you're not even going to be able to travel to see people at at some point in time. You you wonder whether we're going into overkill on this stuff. And I think we are, you know. And the the thing is, you know, the the governor said, well, at first you can go outside and do all the you know whatever outdoor activities, but then you you could slowly see the goalposts being moved and. Now I see right outside my door that they're roping off all the playground equipment. So <laughs> trying to yeah. explain to my son why he can't go, that's, I mean, that's going to be a tough conversation to have. <laughs> yeah, and I, guess, and I guess I'm kind of intrigued. I, I, that's why I started the conversation. I, I understand what's going on in Detroit. Detroit is one of the, these urban areas where you've got a population density and you've got a huge dependence on mass transit and things like that. I mean, do you have many cases of coronavirus in Marquette, Michigan? I believe, as it stands, there's four confirmed cases with one death. And okay, the four. Upper Peninsula as a whole, there's, I believe there's about a dozen. Um, okay, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And, see, and this, is, this is, and I understand that whenever I go down this route, I get these texts from people saying, you're, you're denying the significance of it. I, I'm, I'm not, but th- th- that's a perfect example. All right, maybe these rules regarding travel and movement make sense for Detroit. Right, but okay, Mar- Marquette, Michigan, or the entire Upper Peninsula, you know, four cases. Now, I, I get the the argument is you don't want all sorts of people with coronavirus pouring into you know Marquette, Michigan, and suddenly the the system is overwhelmed. But but that really statistically hasn't. Ha- is there any statistical sort of evidence that suggests that that is is likely to happen? And then if it does, then maybe you adapt to it. But I mean, maybe a rule that makes sense for Detroit, or a rule that makes sense for Areas of the city of Milwaukee where you've seen the highest incidence of coronavirus, maybe that doesn't necessarily make as much sense for, okay, the upper peninsula of of Michigan. Um, let's see. Um, da, 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 da. Jeff, uh, this Michigan law has absolutely gone too far. I'm ashamed to be an American right now with how easy people are rolling over. It seems there is very little that is off limits, and these are uncharted dictates. Um you know, I guess it's it's one of these things where you want to be smart about it. You want to maintain the social distancing. I, I understand all that. You want to limit your travel. That's it. But I'm, I am sitting here thinking at some point in time, are we really at this point where we're going to say to people, all right, you're – it's you're not allowed to drive across town to stand on the front lawn and and you know, like like wave and talk to your granddaughter when you know if she's inside the house or, or whatever. We're we're really at that point, 
And, and statistically, how can you document that by preventing and prohibiting people from doing that, that it is going to substantially, as long as you maintain social distancing and things like that, that it is going to substantially stop the spread of coronavirus? And, and my answer would be, I, I don't know that there's any documentation of that. Sometimes I just think what we're seeing now is that the knee-jerk reaction is, okay, let's close this down, let's prevent this, let's prevent that. A lot of the stuff they're talking about clearly makes sense. I understand why we don't have baseball games, okay? I don't like it, but I understand why, you know, restaurants are closed at the moment for indoor dining. But, but really, you can't drive in your car, you know, three or four miles to stand on the front lawn at Easter and drop off an Easter lily. Huh. All right, that's going to really stop the spread of coronavirus. Don't we need to say we, we need these rules to make sense? That, that's, that's my only point. All right, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back, so very glad to have you with us. Uh, headline in the Washington Post, the Trump administration pushing to reopen much of the United States by early next month. That would be, well, three weeks from today, essentially. I mean, that's that's when, when May is. The, the governor of the state of Wisconsin, and what he was saying in his press conference today is no different than what he was saying with Steve Scafidi. Um, he does not appear to be in any hurry or willing to set any sort of, of deadlines as to what when when we can start to get back to normal doesn't appear to be any position to in any hurry to sort of even re-examine the, the reaction of of closing stuff down regardless of of what the data would show now i mean right now 3,068 confirmed cases of coronavirus. That, that's up 183. So you're, you're not seeing an, in, an exponential increase, but you are, are seeing an increase. I don't argue with the, the safer at home standards still being applied. I do think, though, that it is reasonable to say to the governor, what are the standards, what are you going to be looking at, and what, what are the numbers that are going to indicate that we can start "Quote unquote reopening the the state because again keep in mind you got two hundred ninety six thousand people who have applied for unemployment thus far as I was saying earlier one point seven sixteen million almost seventeen million Americans unemployed all right at some point in time I understand that you got to be safe but there is in fact a, a balancing and it would be interesting to hear the governor say okay this is what the criteria is even if he feels not uh, feels uncomfortable." saying, well, I think we can reopen the, the state in 10 days. M- maybe it would be interesting to hear what the criteria is going to be. What Does it mean no increases in corona, no more reported cases of coronavirus? Because if that's going to happen, we're going to keep the state probably shut down till there's a vaccine or a treatment, which is probably a year. You, you simply cannot do that. So what are what is the criteria that's out there? And it would be interesting to have the governor explain why it is that some businesses have been ordered to be closed down and other businesses haven't. And again, I understand why we're not allowed to go into restaurants and be around people. I understand why you can't go to Miller Park and, and have a ball game or go to Pfizer Forum. That, that stuff all sorts of make, makes sense to me. It makes no sense to me, though, that again, some of these small businesses that have limited contacts, there's a, there's a, there's a men's clothing store, okay, right? 
down the street from where I live. I don't really shop there that much, but but they've been ordered to be closed. Okay, wh- why are why are they closed when in any given day they're they're not going to have more than ten or twelve customers probably in the whole day? Why is I use the example of the, the dog groomers? Why are they being told that that they have to be closed? But the, the big box retailer is open. You know, why is it that you, you can't get a haircut in the, the one-person barbershop or something like that? I, I think what, what it would have been nice to have come from the governor is, is sort of a systematic approach that says, okay, we, we've closed everything down. And, and we don't want to reopen stuff too soon and see this this huge surge. And I, believe me, I, I understand that that makes sense. But at the same time, is it unreasonable to say, all right, let's start looking at what we have closed down. And instead of taking this approach that, boom, we're going to close everything down, we're going to look at it from the perspective of we're going to close down and order the businesses to be closed and remain closed if we think that there's a likelihood that they are going to significantly increase the spread of coronavirus. And again, that that means that maybe it's a different analysis in areas that have, you know, an outbreak or epicenters of of coronavirus. It might be a different inquiry in again the city of Milwaukee as opposed to <clears throat> Brown County or wherever as opposed to this one-size-fits-all concept. So I, I think the governor needs to needs to start figuring out, okay, how are we coming out of this? And I appreciate you want to listen to all the health people, and you want to do, you want to do the math and things like that. But understand, coronavirus isn't going away. Coronavirus is going to be with us for the next year to a year and a half. And we've got to figure out a way to let businesses start reopening their doors if they can do it safely and if statistically they can do it without a significant risk of necessarily spreading this virus. You've got to let people go back to work. We were talking earlier about how we're all in this together. Well, yeah, we all are in it together, but some people who aren't making any money, um, they're, they're in the deep end. Because they they got to figure out how they're going to make their housing payments and things like that. Other people who are continuing to get their paychecks, or you know, who work for the government and stuff like that, and that's not a knock on them. They're they're getting paid. They're going to continue to get paid. But we we have to figure out a way to safely start allowing people to get back to work, especially if those people that we're going to let get back to work can do so safely without substantially imposing a risk that they're going to expend coronavirus. It doesn't appear that we're getting that thought yet. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Let me wish you a very happy and blessed Easter. Uh, again, if you were listening to the governor, both on our air and later on, it is apparent that he has no plans to release and his stay-at-home or safer-at-home orders to allow businesses to begin the process of opening up anytime soon. And if he's got criteria for when that's going to happen, he's not sharing it with, with people. So as it stands now, status quo, almost 300,000 unemployment claims in the state of Wisconsin. And again, I, I, I understand safer-at-home, and it makes sense to me. Um, but at the same time, I think we need to start figuring out, okay, businesses that we have closed, 
by reopening them, does it, does it create a significant risk of a spread of coronavirus? And, and again, I think there's a lot of business people out there going, okay, well, why am I closed when, when the Walmart down the street is, is open? And those are reasonable questions, and unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get answers to them anytime soon. Um, Jeff, all these businesses don't need to be shut down, are shut down. They're probably not going to open back up. People aren't going to be able to afford to pay the rent and mortgages. Um, et cetera, but, you know, government employees still get their salary. Well, I, look, there, there is this reality. Like I say, we're, we're all in it together, but some people are in a deeper end than others. Right? It's not just, though, the fact that, you know, we have these safer-at-home orders that are requiring businesses to be closed. The other reality is even if we raise the curtain and say, okay, we can start going back to, to normal, the problem is that, I don't know what normal is going to be. And there's a lot of people who aren't going to be willing to do what they normally would do. For example, there's a story that appeared, I think, in the Wall Street Journal a day or two ago uh, about Las Vegas. I am a huge Las Vegas fan, and, and maybe you like Las Vegas, maybe you don't. But they are talking about how what's been going on, and the casinos have been shut down in Las Vegas for you know a few weeks now, and the estimates are that you know this is... This is going to be something that's going to take Las Vegas literally years to recover from because it's not just a question of are people going to go to Las Vegas, but it's a question of are are, are they going to be comfortable being in casinos and surrounded by large numbers of people? Are they going to be comfortable jumping on airplanes and flying there? Are they going to be comfortable staying in hotels? I mean, how long is it going to take to get that city back to normal? And and their estimates are that they they, they think that this could take years. And even once you reopen, it takes years to get back to quote-unquote normal because people are just going to be reluctant to do the things that, that they did. One of the areas that this is really hitting hard on is the area of, of air travel. And we've talked about this in different contexts and before, but I'm looking at a story right now. The <clears throat> It looks like some airlines, get this, might cut their routes. These are domestic routes by as much as 90% through September and drop other routes entirely in order to avoid um, flying near empty planes. Now, now right now, you, you can still fly. You, know, you, you could, if you can find the, the thing, you, you could book a flight and get on the plane and travel. The problem, though, is people aren't doing that, even though they're entitled to do it. Why? Well, first of all, people are uncomfortable traveling. We've got like this national stay-at-home sort of thing. So people are being told, don't go. Importantly, on top of that, though, is even if you fly somewhere, unless, I don't know, unless you've got the the place in Florida, for example, let's say you've got the place in Naples, yet you fly there, and then you can drive and stay there. Otherwise, there's there's nothing to do. You you get to an area, lots, if most, if not all of the hotels are closed. All the major hotels in Milwaukee right now are closed, not because they're required to be closed by the law, but because... Number one, they've got concerns about, you know, COVID-19 among their employees. And number two, it's just an economic thing. Nobody's.
traveling, nobody's staying there. doesn't make much sense to, op- to keep the Fister Hotel open if you've got an occupancy rate of 5 or 10%. That doesn't pay enough. You're not bringing enough money to justify you know, keeping the lights turned on. So that's the reality, and that's what airlines are seeing. Even if you raise the curtain and say, okay, we're going to release these, these different rules that we have, we're going to allow the country to start opening back up again. We're going to allow, okay, restaurants to open with there's limitations. People are still going to be reluctant to do that. And at least short term, that's really hitting the airline industry. Because even if they're going to be allowed to fly, the concern is and the expectations are and the predictions are that people aren't going to do that. All right, which brings me to my question, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Be honest. Do you think that you will be traveling via air anytime in the next, let's say, six months? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you think you're going to be jumping on an airplane anytime within the next six months? Or are you going to say, look, I'm just going to take a wait-and-see attitude because I'm reluctant, given the state of the stuff that's going on in the world, I'm reluctant to schlep myself to an airport, I'm reluctant to get on this giant flying tube with a few hundred other people, land somewhere, have to deal with a rental car, drive somewhere, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you going to be reluctant to fly in the near to mid-future. I'm I'm putting like a six-month time limit on there. I will tell you honestly, I'm not. But I'm beginning to think, and I I seriously think that I'm I'm probably not representative of, of that. I mean, you know, once... Once things start opening up, once there's, you know, things that you can do when you travel to a particular place, I'm not going to be hesitant going. I mean, I'm hope I don't have any plans to Las Vegas schedule, but typically I go in October. I, I'm hoping that you know I'm I'm going to do that that trip that I typically make every year. That is my hope. I am not hesitant to get back on an airplane, but my guess is, especially domestically, international might be a little bit of a different story. But maybe I'm a lagging indicator on that. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because, see, this is going to be the big indicator. I mean, right now, government is telling us in many respects that we're, we're not allowed to go about aspects of our daily lives. But once that changes... Well, we still have to make our decisions, and I'm legitimately curious as to what people are going to do with planes. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Report today says that domestic airlines are looking at canceling about 90% of their flights this summer, not because the government says that they have to, but because right now, no demand for air travel. Do you think that's going to change anytime soon? Let's start with Joe in Menominee Falls. Joe, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, We have a trip planned for Austin, Texas for a wedding in October 9th and 10th. So I'm hoping that, okay. that it's going to take off, you know. Um, but to me, I, I would fly. You know, I mean, if things were open, I would be getting on a plane and taking advantage of the low gas, taking advantage of, you know, wherever, whatever we could do. So, you, you know? so you're not, I mean, personally, you're you're not hesitant. As long as, 
as long as you could get there and as long as there was stuff to do once you got there, you wouldn't think anything about jumping on a jet and going. No, I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, I play it safe. You know, I'm, I stay my six sure. feet distance when I'm around other people. But, uh, you know, I, you can't live in fear and you have to survive. And I think it's, uh, to me, it would be fine yeah. to do. But uh, No, thanks, thanks for the culture. I appreciate it. No, no, well, I appreciate it. And, and see, this, this, is what's going to, this is what's going to drive it. And, and nobody really knows how fast this is going to come back. Look, I mean, I, I understand why people aren't flying now. Because, like I say, there's... Unless, unless you're going home to live with your parents or you've got that second place or whatever, and as far as, as leisure travel now, you, you know what? why fly to an area where nothing is open? Business travel has completely and totally cratered. I mean, you've got business, and, and that's an area, to just like after 9-11, I don't know how quickly that's coming back because I think more and more businesses are finding, hey, you know, we've got Zoom and we've got all this stuff. Do we need to pay the money to send, you know, people to travel? You know, conventions, I mean, my goodness. Goodness gracious! I, you know, Milwaukee, of course, is getting ready to to spend, you know, just stupid amounts four hundred twenty million dollars to expand a convention center and pay for it with sales taxes on hotels and restaurants. Number one at a time when hotels and restaurants are are, are struggling to hang on, and number two. I mean, who knows what the convention business is going to look like for the next several years? Because my guess is, um, just a lot of places are going to decide, "Hey, we maybe have done conventions in the past, but people just aren't going to come." Darren in Waukesha. Darren, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I am well, thank you. Okay, are you going to be willing to fly anytime soon? Um, like your previous caller, I would fly. I have a sister getting married in Hawaii in January. I mean, I'm lucky to still have my job but what happens you know three weeks four weeks down the road when i don't have a job that's a lot of money to put up especially in january so i mean i would still fly but i look at it as the economic side of it is well well, i still have a job and two kids and a wife going with me so that's not cheap Yeah, no, thanks for call, Darren. and that's you know you bring up the the other aspect of this as well which is Given the economic impact, I mean, I've been a guy that's been saying, I mean, almost 300,000 new unemployment claims in Wisconsin, 16.78 million Americans have lost their jobs in just 21 days, and, and that's only going to increase the longer the, the country is quote-unquote shut down. So, yeah, from a perspective of, of leisure travel, if, look, if for, for a lot of people, this has been an inconvenience, but for other people... It's starting to become a financial life and death sort of situation. And I understand there's a stimulus check out there, and I understand there's going to be unemployment benefits, but that that doesn't replace a job if the job has disappeared. And, and yeah, from the perspective of all those people whose financial situation, through no fault of their own, has somehow been completely and totally upended, tough to imagine, you know, lots of leisure or vacation travel going on. Um, Let's talk to David in Appleton. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. I, I love I your show, and thank you for uh, being on the airway with us. Uh, my Thanks take on this, and I travel quite a lot for work, and uh, not quite as much for leisure, but I still do it quite often. Uh, I would have traveled last week on a plane, next week on a plane, or a month from now. But the reason I'm not is my employer won't let me, so I'm doing a far more trips in the vehicle. Or right. when it comes to personal travel, 
there's no point in going in a lot of places if I can't do anything there, if I can't eat at right. the restaurant, if I can't stay in yeah. a hotel, if I can't go to the state park, why am I going there just because the flights are going there? Right, yeah, why, why fly to, if, I mean, I, like I said earlier, I like Las Vegas. Why fly to Las Vegas if all the hotels are closed and all the restaurants are closed and there's no shows and the casinos are closed? Why, why, why bother going if you can't do that? Hey, Precisely. let me ask you this. You, you, you said you travel a lot for work. Do you think that that is do you think that's going to change by that I mean once once we start lifting the curtain do you think your employer is going to say well maybe you don't need to travel in person as much do you think that's going to be cut back at all for you I don't honestly um, there's a lot of things I'm in quality role um, so there's a okay. lot of things that I can do over you know the phone um, but going and doing an evaluation of a, a site supplier visit okay. i need to see their operation i need to touch their okay. parts and and see their systems so for my particular role i don't see that um but i also see employers you know right now they're just kind of covering themselves look we don't want to have egg on our face if we ask our employees to travel unsafe and they get sick right. and it you know we're the big bad wolf for making them travel but I think right. they're going to start even backing off on that, saying, look, if you think it's okay, if you feel comfortable, if you feel safe, we're letting you do it now, even if they've stopped right. it previously, because uh, I would do it in a heartbeat. Tomorrow, I, I'd be happily on a flight. David, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. You know, I, I, it's so many interesting comments. I mean, one of the other things is, and again, this kind of ties into what I was talking about a little bit earlier about the, the, the conference business, and we're going to spend $420 million that we don't have expanding a convention center. Uh, you know, one of the, the things, I know that there's a lot of companies who are have, have taken a big hit during this. I, I don't know. I don't know that there uh, – I was going to say that there's any companies who haven't done well during this, but but I think it's fair to say that the vast majority of companies ha have taken hits, some bigger, some smaller. But I do think that, that one of the things that's going to happen, and I know we're seeing this in our industry, is that a lot of the discretionary spending, that, that that's gone for, for at least the, the near future. The, the, okay, well, maybe – in the past, we would send three people to this particular conference. We know, well, well okay, now we're, we're not going to spend that money because, gee, we've been doing everything we could to, you know, avoid furloughing employees. Or we've laid off a whole bunch of employees. You know, we're, we're going to send some people to a, to a conference. I, I think that type of discretionary spending is just going to fall off the cliff. Let's talk to Tim in Lisbon. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. How are you? I am well, thank you, sir. What do you think? Are you going to fly anytime uh, soon? I uh, Yes, I would in a heartbeat. Um, we have a daughter and her husband that live in L.A. Uh, California put a lot of the vans in and restrictions before anyone else. We were supposed to fly the weekend before uh, St. Patty's Day. And okay. we had to cancel that flight. And uh, if... California restricted the bans and allowed the things. Uh, I, within the hour, I would call and uh, book a flight. Can't wait right. to see her. It's been a couple of years. They've bought a house since then. I haven't seen their home. But I, I love them, and I'd love to be in their house. But if we can't go to the beaches, if we can't go to the museums and some of the wonderful things that Southern California has to offer, the great restaurants and everything. Yeah. There's a lot of food trucks, but I'd like to do other things than yeah. go to food trucks. Uh, well, right. yeah, no, I've I get... got no, no problems with it. Uh, I'd have more. I, the being in the plane, we've flown to L.A. in the past, and I got a bug 
uh, six years ago just flying, being in a plane. So I'm not that much worried. Right. I, I think if they do it, unless they greatly restrict the amount of flights, I think most of the planes are going to be relatively empty, only half full to begin with, which is better yeah. than what it was a year ago. Planes were packed well, with gills. Oh, yeah, no, th- thanks for call. No, I... No, I got to tell you, see, I I don't remember that. That is one of the interesting things. I don't remember the last time that I have been on a commercial flight that it hasn't been, if not completely full, ninety ninety five percent full. I remember there's only one flight I can remember, and that was coming back from Las Vegas last year at some sort of odd time, and the flight was only about eighty percent full, so the middle seat was open. But otherwise, every flight I've taken, I've been on a lot of flights over the course of the last couple of years, has been packed. Okay, I, I, I hate to share this text, but I'm, I'm going to. Jeff, I've been traveling on the red eye from Milwaukee out west twice in March. Don't tell anybody, but the flights have been less than 30 people on a 737. You know, it just, that that's that, that's it. I mean, right now, it, it's empty. But I, I bring this up just to say, again, it right now, with everything closed by government order, that, that that's having an effect on the economy. I don't know, and I think the real variable is is what we're going to do psychologically once we can start traveling again. Will we do it? And I think for some industries, and the airline industry might be one, it, it's going to be a ways to come back. I mean, I remember how it was after September 11, 2001. I think this might be the same, if not worse. This is Jeff Wagner.